You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Bhutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. Now, as I mentioned, the, the title of this message is The Pride Problem. The Pride Problem. You know, it's been said that the, that the problem with pride is that pride is the problem. Well, here in this passage this morning, we see that the Corinthian church was a church that had a pride problem. And we, and we know that because of the phrase puffed up. In fact, this phrase puffed up, uh, we, we see the Apostle Paul use that phrase at least six different times in the book of 1 Corinthians. For example, here in chapter 4, we, we see that when it came to division, uh, the, the fighting they had as they fought over who their favorite preacher was, it says in chapter 4, verse 6, that they were puffed up against one another. That's a pride problem. Then later on in chapter 4, verse 19, uh, Paul then confronts, it says in verse 19, those who were arrogant, but most English translations use the phrase puffed up, those who were puffed up in speech. And then in chapter 5, verse 2, Paul then confronts how, how prideful and puffed up they were because that they were accepting certain sinful lifestyles into the church and then bragging about it, boasting about it. And then later on in chapter 8, Paul then warns them that knowledge puffs up. And then finally, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in the context of spiritual gifts, Paul then says that love is not puffed up. And so this was a church that, that took great pride in how loving they were, and yet they were filled with division. This is a church that took great pride in how spiritually gifted they were, and yet they were puffed up in the flesh. This was a church that had a pride problem, and so that's why the Apostle Paul is rebuking them this morning. That's why he's correcting them. And so now as we go back to verses 6 and 7, we see that Paul gets to the root of their division. As we mentioned, there was division in this church, and Paul gets to the root of it. And so in verse 6, Paul says again, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So now, as we've been pointing out for the last several weeks, the, the, the church in, in the city of Corinth, the Corinthian church, this was a fragmented church. This was a divided church. You know, and they were divided basically because of a cult of personality. You know, they, they, they were all like, you know, I follow this preacher, I follow that preacher. I'm of the Apostle Paul. I'm of the Apostle Peter. I'm of Apollos. And, and so because of that, they were on the verge, really, of becoming several different splinter churches. It's as if they're, they're on the verge of becoming like, you know, the church of the Apostle Paul or the church of, of, of the apostolic church of Peter or, or the church of the great preacher Apollos. And so they, they, they were dividing. Well, this morning here in chapter 4, Paul is exposing that their division was not rooted in, in personality differences. Uh, their, their division wasn't rooted in, in, in having different political views, or for that matter, their division wasn't rooted in, in, in having different beliefs, rather the root of their division was their own pride. Their own pride. Again, he says in verse 6, that you are puffed up against one another. Now, that phrase, puffed up, it comes from the Greek word fusio. Fusio is, is a term that, that means to swell up, to blow up, or, or, or to inflate. And so this tells us that, that not only did they have a, an overinflated view of their leaders, but worse, they had an overinflated view of themselves. And that was the problem. They were puffed up. Now on that note, 
James chapter 4, verse 1 tells us, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Aren't they caused by the selfish desires that fight to control you? And so James tells us that it's your selfish desires. It's your pride. And so let me ask you this. Who are you at odds with this morning? You know, maybe, maybe you finished out the work week with a disagreement with a coworker. You know, before you left the office, before you left your cubicle, there was some kind of disagreement. Or maybe you, you got into it this week with a, with a quote-unquote Karen at the grocery store. Or maybe a Karen in your neighborhood. Now, by the way, uh, do, you, do you know what a whole group of Karens is called? It's called the HOA, the, the Homeowners Association. You know, or maybe you, you, you got into a fight with your spouse on the way to church this morning. You know, kind of like a couple that, that I heard about that was driving on this country road, and they were not talking to each other at all. They just got in this fight, and now they're given the silent treatment. So she's staring out this window, he's staring straight ahead and driving. Nobody's talking to anyone until he sees a, a couple of donkeys on the side of the road. He says, hey, relatives of yours? She says, yep, I married into the family. Well, according to James, uh, you're fighting with each other, you're quarreling, your disagreements with each other are actually rooted in your own pride, your own pride. Uh, you know, it's interesting, uh, recently a study was done that found that, that narcissism is, is, is three times higher in our generation than it was back in the 1960s. Now, the experts say that, that narcissism, you know, leads to things like, like increased aggression. Uh, it also leads to, to a lack of empathy, a, a lack of overall care and concern for other people. And we see this all the time, right, especially on social media. You know, on, on Twitter, you know, we, we, see, pe we, we see Twitter users who, who, who flock to, to share their brilliant opinions, and they don't care who gets offended in the process. Or on, on Instagram and, and Facebook, these so-called influencers who spend all this time and money and energy carefully crafting their online personas. But we see pride everywhere. In fact, two psychologists, uh, Dr. Gene uh, Twinge and, and Dr. W. Keith Campbell, co-authored a book together recently titled The Narcissism Epidemic. The Narcissism Epidemic. This is a book that, that chronicles narcissism in the United States and, and really is saying that, that America is a narcissistic nation. <laughs> yeah, like that's news. Uh, but, you know, uh, what they chronicle is, is that, you know, narcissism is just kind of slowly evolved in our country. You know, for example, back in the 60s, people just kind of cast off societal constraints in order to embrace self-exploration. You know, exploring their, their own human potential. But then in the 70s, that morphed in, into self-expression and self-absorption. And, th and then in the 80s, that gave way to self-centeredness and self-indulgence. And it's just gone downhill from there. Now, in the book, these authors point out that, that the rise in narcissism, narcissism in our country is really the main cause for, for, for America's political and economic crisis that we're currently in. That, the, that, the, that the, the hatred that we see, the division that we see, the turmoil that we see, both politically and economically, can all be rooted back to our own narcissism. Now, in many ways, the same narcissism that, that's dividing the United States was the same narcissism that was dividing the ancient church of Corinth. In fact, for that matter, it's the same narcissism that's dividing the modern church, the church today. And so as the Apostle Paul this morning confronts the Corinthians about their pride problem, he's going to do, as we see in this chapter, two things this morning. 
Number one, the first thing he's going to do is he gets sarcastic. In fact, this reminds me of my favorite verse in the Bible, which is snarkiness is next to godliness. Okay, that's not in the Bible. If it were, it'd probably be in, you know, in First Snarkalonians. But, uh, but, but, but Paul gets, gets snarky, but it's, it's for a purpose. It's for a reason. He's making a point. That's the first thing he does. Then the second thing he's going to do is he gives them a better model. He gives them a better example to follow. In fact, we get, we get a hint of that in, in verse 6. Notice at the beginning of verse 6, Paul says again, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. Now notice that word applied. In, in some of your English translations, like, like the New King James Version, for example, instead of the word applied, yours says the word figuratively. Or maybe the, the New Living Translation uses the word illustrate. And so, in effect, Paul's saying, you know what? I'm using myself and, and Apollos like, like living illustrations, like, like a living object lesson for you to learn from. He's saying, you know what? I want you to follow my example. He's saying, hey, instead of fighting over who you follow, instead of fighting over who follows Paul versus who follows Apollos, he says, you know what? Why don't you just follow our examples? Follow the example of Paul. Follow the example of Apollos. And ultimately, this reminds us that at a time like this, where today there, there are more things than ever before for the church to divide over, I mean, you, you name it. I mean, whether it's COVID or, 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 or the economy or, or politics, I mean, pick your poison. We have more things to divide over today like never before. In a time like this, the question is, what kind of leaders are you following? You know, what, what examples are you following? Well, the Apostle Paul this morning is telling us to follow his example, to follow his example. And so uh, Paul exposes the root of their division. And and now, as they pick it up in verses 8 through 13, now he gets snarky. But it's not just snarky for the sake of snarkiness. This is snarkiness with a purpose. He's going to make a point. And so in verse 8, Paul says again, Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you've become kings. And, and, and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we've become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the, to the present hour, we hunger and thirst, and, and, and we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When, when persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become, and, and still are, like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. So as I mentioned, there's some snarkiness here. But, but, but he's making a point. In fact, what Paul's doing is, is he's, he's making a contrast. He's contrasting how the Corinthians saw themselves versus how the Corinthians saw the, the Apostle Paul. You might say that, that they had, a, had an overinflated view of themselves and they had a deflated view of the Apostle Paul. So Paul now uses what I'd call some sanctified sarcasm. And, and he's all like, you are kings, but we're the scum of the earth. You know, you are so wise, but we are fools. In fact, in verse 19, he says, you know, that we apostles have become spectacles to the world. Now, the word spectacle, interesting term. It's, it's the Greek word theatron. We get the word theater from it. Now, this word speaks of, a, of, of an amphitheater, but it really speaks of a specific amphitheater, and that would be the Roman Colosseum. In fact, the, the spectacle actually refers to an event. 
You see, what would happen is, is when, when a Roman commander uh, was victorious in battle, he would return and, 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 and he would be rewarded with the victory parade. So he'd be paraded throughout the, the whole uh, city of Rome, through the streets of Rome, and, and, then, and then behind him would then be paraded all the trophies of war. You know, gold and, and silver and jewels. And then behind the trophies of war were then paraded the POWs, the prisoners of war. Those who were, who were caught in battle but doomed to die. And so they'd be paraded through the streets and ultimately marched into the Roman Colosseum. There'd be a whole show. Thousands of spectators would gather and, 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 and gladiators would be there. They, they'd, they would fight each other. But then after the gladiators fought each other, then there was the grand finale now, the grand finale was called the spectacle. The spectacle. And here's what the spectacle was. The spectacle is when the POWs, the prisoners of war, would then be thrown into the arena with wild beasts who would then devour them and maul them alive. And thousands would cheer. And so Paul is saying that that's how the world views him. That's how the world viewed the apostles. The, the, the world views the apostles as, as a public spectacle. But then Paul's saying, in, in contrast, that the Corinthians, on the other hand, were respected by the world. They were loved by the world. And so in effect, Paul's saying, you know what? Look at how the world treats you compared to how the world treats us. I mean, I mean, to them, we're, we're the scum of the earth. But to you, they treat you like, like royalty. And he's like, you know, why is that? Why do they treat you so differently than they treat us? You see, the, the Corinthians were, 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 were overly concerned with how the world saw them, the world's perception of them. You see, uh, the Corinthians wanted to be spectacular. They didn't want to be a spectacle. They wanted to be spectacular in the world's eyes. And so the Corinthians, uh, in great pride, bragged about, about how much they were loved by the world. And at the same time, they, 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 they talked about how much the world hated the likes of the Apostle Paul. And so uh, they, 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 had, they had believed, they'd come to believe that, that, that being loved by the world was a good thing. But the Apostle Paul is going to point out this morning that be, being loved by the world isn't as good as you think it is. In fact, Paul's going to point out that it's, it's better to be loved by God and, and rejected by the world than it is to be loved by the world and rejected by God. And, and, and so he's going to point out that, you know what, sometimes the world's rejection of you is actually a good thing. It reminds me of, of the preacher John Wesley from back in the 1800s. And as many of you know, John Wesley was famous for, for riding horseback and, and town to town preaching the gospel, preached over 80,000 sermons in his life. And, and, and he reached thousands and thousands of people. And, and yet he was also rejected by thousands and thousands more. In fact, here's a page from Wesley's diary. Wesley writes and says, Sunday morning, May 5th, preached at St. Anne's and was told never to come back. Sunday evening, May 5th, preached at St. John's. Deacons told me, get out and stay out. Sunday morning, May 12th, preached at St. Jude's, can't go back there either. Sunday, May 19th, preached on the street, I got kicked off the street. Sunday, May 26th, preached in an open meadow, was chased out of the meadow when the farmer turned his bull loose on me. Now, during the service on June 12th, I preached in an open pasture and more than 10,000 people came to hear me preach. Now, on another occasion, Wesley thought that, that, you know, he realized he hadn't been persecuted for a while. Nobody had attacked him for a while. And he thought, there must be something wrong. 
Maybe, maybe there's some kind of sin in his life. Maybe, maybe God's presence has left his life. So he got down on his knees and he prayed about it. And while he was praying, someone threw a rock at him and he stood up and rejoiced and said, oh, thank God, I still have God's presence in my life. You see, Wesley realized that, that, that being persecuted by the world, rejected by the world, wasn't necessarily a bad thing. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, uh, it says, If you suffer because you're a Christian, do not be ashamed. Praise God because you wear that name. Now, the Corinthians evidently were ashamed of, of, of suffering. You know, to them, if you suffered, that was a shameful thing. And the last thing they wanted to do was become a spectacle in the world's eyes, a reject, an outcast. And worse yet, the last thing they wanted to do was associate with the likes of anyone who was a reject in the world's eyes. And so they, quite frankly, wanted to distance themselves as far as they possibly could from the likes of the apostle Paul. And, 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 you know, they, they wanted a, a leader who, who frankly, uh, had fame, a leader who had prestige, a leader who had honor, a, a leader that the world would be attracted to. And so Paul makes this contrast. He, he gets snarky, but it's for a point. He's making a point, a contrast between how they view things and how, and how, they, and how they should be viewing things. And now on that note, in, in verses 14 through 17, Paul now gives them a better example to follow. Verse 14, he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Now, by the way, haven't many of you been snarky with your children? Is it just me? So he's snarky, but he views them as his spiritual children. He led them to faith in Christ. These are his spiritual, spiritual children. He says, I do not write uh, these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then to be imitators of me. That, that is why I sent to you Timothy, my, my, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. And so Paul, in, in verse 19, he says, I urge you to become imitators of me. Now, more than likely, when the Corinthians heard those words, chances are they thought, Why? Why would we want to imitate you? I mean, you, you've been beaten, you, you've, been, you've been mocked, you've been prisoned, you, you've, you, you, you know, I mean, you're an outcast, you're a reject, you're a spectacle in the world's eyes. Why in the world would we want to imitate that and, and, and follow that? You see, quite frankly, everything that the Apostle Paul was, everything that the Apostle Paul stood for, frankly, offended their precious Greek sensitivities. Because to the Corinthians, it was, life was, was all about getting ahead in life. It was all about making a name for yourself, making yourself famous. And quite frankly, the Apostle Paul wasn't interested in any of those things. The Apostle Paul didn't care about making a name for himself. He didn't care about, about making himself famous. The only thing he cared about was making Jesus Christ famous. And so, frankly, Paul modeled before them what a humble walk with Christ actually looked like, but quite frankly, they were too proud for that. It was beneath them. And so now as we pick it up in verse 18 to the end of the chapter, what do we learn from these prideful Corinthians? Let's find out. Verse 18. 
still looking for verse, for verse 18. And my, somebody moved it. They came in and just grabbed my verse 18. Verse 18, he says, some are arrogant. Now, other English translations use the phrase puffed up. Some are arrogant or puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant or, again, puffed up people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Now, we've all heard the old saying, talk is cheap, right? What's the Apostle Paul saying? Now, again, the the Corinthians, they, they were critical of the Apostle Paul. Why? Well, because in their opinion, he wasn't entertaining. He wasn't dynamic. He wasn't sophisticated enough. Frankly, he wasn't spectacular in the world's eyes. He was a spectacle in the world's eyes. He was an outcast. He was a reject in the world's eyes. Now, the funny thing is, is, that, is that the Corinthians, in their pride, were acting as if the Apostle Paul was never going to find out, as if they, he was never going to hear how they were talking about him, hear how, how they were criticizing him. And chances are they're, they're all like, well, you know, we don't have to worry about Paul. He, he's never coming back to Corinth anyway. We don't have to worry about him. I mean, he's, he's too chicken to come back here. And, and besides, you know, we don't need to be afraid of little old Paul. His bark's worse than his bite. You know, we all know people like this, right? We all have people in our lives who, who talk about us when we're not there, right? You know, listen, that, in the old days, that's how it used to work. You know, people would actually talk about you behind your back. You know, at the water cooler, they would talk about you. You knew they were because as soon as you show up, they stop talking. But nowadays, they just do it on social media. They just blast you on social media, right? In fact, I, I like this quote from Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson said, Social media made you way too comfortable with disrespecting people and not getting punched in the face for it. <laughs> now, listen. That, 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 that quote does lose a little intimidation when you hear it this way. Social media has made you way too comfortable. <laughs> but I think you get the point. <laughs> and so Paul's basically getting his Mike Tyson on it. And, and Paul's like, listen, when I come there, how do you want me to come? Do you want me to come with a rod or, or with love and a spirit of gentleness? You know, Paul's like, you know, uh, he's like, you know, when I show up, I mean, yeah, you, you're, you're all big, bad, and bold when I'm not there. You can talk smack when I'm not there. Are you bold enough? Are you man enough to talk that kind of smack to my face when I get there? That's what Paul's saying. Now, listen, as far as the church in Corinth was, was concerned, they were standing on dangerous ground right now. Uh, I mean, again, they, they were puffed up. They had, they had an overinflated view of themselves, uh, an overinflated view of, of, of their spirituality, uh, of, of their giftedness, an overinflated view of, of their wealth, and, and they're standing in the world's eyes. And then, and then in the next chapter, chapter 5, we're going to see that they even boasted about their tolerance, that they'd allowed certain sinful lifestyles into the church and then, and then actually bragged about it and boasted about how forgiving they were and tolerant they were and accepting they were. And so uh, this, this was a church that was standing on dangerous ground. Now, why do I say there was dangerous ground? Well, it was dangerous ground because Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. They thought they were all big and bad and, 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 and they were boasting. And, and in fact, Paul later on in 1 Corinthians tells them, listen, don't think you stand. If anyone thinks he's standing, take heed lest you fall. He's letting them know, listen, you have this overinflated view of yourselves and your bubble is about to burst. 
And so we see this morning that, that the root of, of all of the problems in Corinth were, was, was their own pride. And that was true, whether it was, was, was their strife and their division with each other, or if it was their gossip and their slander and their criticism against the Apostle Paul. At, at the heart of all of it was their own pride. So what do we learn from, from the prideful church in Corinth this morning? Well, we learn a few things. Number one, we learn that, that, that as long as we're full of ourselves, we will never know the, the, the fullness of Christ. Let me say that again. As long as we're full of ourselves, we'll never know the fullness of Christ. I don't know about you, but, but you know, I, I, I've learned that, that nothing seem, seems to, to hold back my relationship with the Lord. Nothing seems to trip up my relationship with the Lord like being full of myself. It's like that old Chinese proverb that says, he who's wrapped up in himself makes a small package. And so as long as we're wrapped up in ourselves, full of ourselves, you know, we, we have nothing to offer in the Lord. We're not growing in the Lord. And, 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 and so we, we learn that, that, that we, we need, we, you know, as long as we're full of ourselves, we're not going to grow. But the number two, we learn that at the heart of, of all of our division and strife with each other is our own pride. Now, by the way, isn't it true that, that oftentimes the hardest thing to admit is when we're prideful? In fact, most of us, we're so prideful, we don't even know we're prideful. You know, it's like Buddy Robinson when he said, pride is the only disease known to man that makes everyone else sick around him except for the person who actually has it. We're so prideful, we don't even know it. And that ultimately, pride is, is what destroys our relationships. It, it destroys our unity. It destroys our oneness. And, and that's true whether it's our unity in our family or if it's our unity in our church family. In fact, Psychology Today points out six signs that pride is destroying your relationships. Six signs that pride is destroying your relationships. Sign number one, persistent disagreements. Everywhere you go, you have a disagreement. Now think about it. If everywhere you go, you have a disagreement. You go home. You go to work. You go to the grocery store. You go to Walmart. You, everywhere, if everywhere you go, you have a disagreement, do you think the problem might be you? <laughs> so sign number one is, is persistent disagreements. Sign number two is that we have a tendency to respond to stress with negative emotions like, like anger and irritability and contempt. And then sign number three is refusing to compromise. There's no bend. There's no give and take. It's my way or the highway. And then sign number four is, is that you are constantly offended by other people's opinions. In fact, that probably just offended you. <laughs> and then sign number five is, is that you constantly find fault with others. It's never you. It's, it's nothing you did. It's always them. And then finally, sign number six is refusing to apologize. You know, there's, there's, there's no resolution. There's no desire to work this out and resolve things and, and get on the same page. There's never taking any ownership for your part. And so if we see these traits in ourselves, then frankly, we are allowing pride to destroy our relationships with each other, just like the Corinthians had allowed pride to divide their church. So what's the answer? I mean, if, if we notice these same traits in us that were in the Corinthian church, then what do we do about that? What do we do? Well, we do what the Apostle Paul told them to do. And what did the Apostle Paul tell them to do? He told them to follow his example. He said, imitate me. Follow his example. So, so what was Paul's example? I'm glad you asked. To find his example, let's go back to the beginning of the chapter. At the very beginning of the chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, the chapter starts by saying, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. 
So Paul says, be, be, be imitators of me. Follow my example. We're like, well, what is that example? He says, well, this is how you should regard us, as, as servants of Christ. Now, we pointed out last week that that word servants, it's the Greek word huperites. It describes a particular type of slave, a slave that was called an under rower. We mentioned last week that in these ancient ships, you know, oftentimes you'd have that lower deck. And in the lower deck, this is where the slaves would be chained to their oars and they'd be whipped and forced to row. And, 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 and the conditions in that lower deck were just deplorable. I mean, I mean there was no ventila- ventilation. It was dark. It was damp. Uh, you were never allowed under any circumstances to ever leave your station, not even for something as simple to go to the restroom. And if you ever slowed your pace, I mean, even just a little, you were savagely beaten and whipped so that you would never slow your pace again. And so what's interesting is, is that as the Apostle Paul is describing his role in the body of Christ, it's interesting that, that Paul doesn't d- identify himself as, as, the, as the captain of the ship, as being large and in charge. No, Paul identified himself as the servant. And not just any kind of servant, but the lowest of the low, the under rower. Hey, listen. In times like these, as we're all fighting to be seen, as we're all fighting to be noticed, as we're all fighting for recognition, just remember that it's the unseen, unnoticed, under-rower who keeps the ship moving forward. Later on, the Apostle Paul writes these words in Philippians 2, verses 3 through 5. He says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others as better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And so that's the example of the Apostle Paul. The example of the Apostle Paul is that he humbled himself. He saw himself as a servant. He, He wasn't there to draw attention to himself. He was there to bring the attention and the glory to Jesus. Now listen, I've also learned, and I'm sure you have too, that, 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 if, that if we don't humble ourselves, don't worry about it, because God will do it for you. You just may not enjoy the process. You know, after all, it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so the example of the Apostle Paul was, was a humble example. You're there to serve. And when we're serving one another, when we're humble towards one another, when we're loving uh, one another, that's what brings unity in the body. That's what brings unity in the family of God. But if we cannot humble ourselves again, don't worry about it because God will do it for you. Because God is opposed to the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.